when's the last time you drew a picture? Like, think about it. Remember those coloring books and the big chunky Crayola crayons, or maybe you graduated onto the skinny Crayola crowns, or maybe even colored pencils. Maybe you got really fancy and you were a painter with like watercolor and paintbrushes and stuff. I'm just wondering about this because today our guest on People Presence is an arts educator. And when I say an arts educator, I mean a visual arts educator. Dina Rappaport is my guest today on People Presence, and it is a delight to know Dina. I had the wonderful pleasure of meeting her through COVID, actually. Um, Dina is an arts educator at the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C., and I'm on their mailing list. As a homeschooling mama, I often take field trips there and different places around, and so I was on their mailing list. And during COVID, Dina dreamed up something called Sketch Club. And so my youngest son and I joined Sketch Club. It's a 30-minute, twice-a-month program that is so fun and good for my soul and growing me, and I can go on and on. And in fact, Dina and I talk about the benefits of arts education. As many of you probably know or remember from other um, conversations I've had with people, I myself am a music arts educator. So I have a degree in music education and I love teaching kids to sing and play music and to move their bodies to music. And I obviously am well versed in all the positive benefits of that. But it has been so enriching for me to grow as an artist myself, along with my son, for Sketch Club. Sincerely, you guys, both of us are equally excited about Sketch Club twice a month. We love it. And I believe we've been doing it for a little over a year and a half. Okay, so I know I solely sound like I'm pitching Sketch Club, and I am, but I'm also pitching Dina. Dina is an amazing arts educator. This is part of the um, vision behind People Presence is I love to get to know people who are passionate about their job. The people who like, they just light up whenever they're doing their thing, when they're staying in their lane. And Dina is one of these people. She makes me feel like I am so artistic and I'm really kind of not, but I have grown. If I showed you my sketchbook, I think you would be impressed from the beginning to where it is now. And that's because of Dina. But Dina just gives me time and space and a quick amount of an appointment, right? It's just a sketch. It's not this commitment of, I'm going to make this piece of art to hang on a wall in a museum because that would be intimidating and overwhelming. But Dina has taught me so much about growth mindset. She's taught me so much about resiliency, about problem solving, about observing. I feel so smart whenever I interact with Dina and I put a chat comment about, oh, I see the clouds or, oh, I noticed the mountains in the background or, oh, I see a chicken in the front. She has this way that makes you feel so special, like you're the smartest person in the world to realize something that's kind of obvious. (laughs) So I really hope you enjoy my conversation with Dina. And at the end, I'm going to tell you how you too can join Sketch Club. You guys, it's free. Well, our tax dollars are paying for it, but it is free and welcome for all ages and stages of the art development journey. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dina Rappaport from the National Gallery of Art. Hey there, this is People Presence, and I'm your host, Karen Hobson. This is a podcast where I interview a special guest. My hope is that through hearing their stories, you will learn something new. You might grow in your own perspective, and hopefully it'll cause you to reflect on your own life story a little bit more. I believe that every person is a present. 
So let's listen as we enjoy a conversation and practice the art of being present. People Presence listeners today have an amazing treat. Dina Rappaport is here with me. Dina, thanks for being here. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. You are so welcome. Dina is an arts educator with the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C., and we met through an online sketchbook club that you offer, and it's amazing, and I should, I'll leave a link. Everyone should join us because it's super fun. Um, Dina, tell us about how did you get to become an art educator? Sure. Um, so I've loved art for my entire life. Um, I've also loved museums and, um, I can't name exactly when I decided if there was like a specific moment that I Mm -hmm. wanted to become an art museum educator, but this connection between art history, which is what I studied, Mm -hmm. um, as an undergrad and also in graduate school, as well as this interfacing with the public of helping be this conduit between art and, um, art and people Mm -hmm. was very appealing to me. Um, so I studied, I studied, like I mentioned, art history as an undergrad and, um, that really opened my eyes because we were able to take, you know, every class under the sun that Mm -hmm. my school offered and sort of exploring the world through visual means and thinking about like, this is our output of the world and this is what creativity looks like, or this is what a culture is communicating Mm -hmm. by way of visual means. Mm -hmm. So it just, it's become this, um, I guess, endless fascination that's also become my profession now. Um, as an art museum educator, I had well, I had the chance to TA um, in graduate school, and um, that was really fun because it got me, it gave me a chance to dip my toes in the water of um, what it would be like to stand in, with students in front of a gallery and to teach. And so I think that's what helped kind of like move the needle a little bit yeah. forward, because um, I think a lot of people when they go into this degree, they're really interested in curation, mm. which is more the sort of like interpretive side, collecting. Um, collecting of the objects, the sort of steward of the objects, um, and an educator's role is much more public facing in that way. So, um, so I think that was a real opportunity for me to see what I really liked about art history and what I liked less about art history and then Mm -hmm. kind of navigate that path, um, Mm -hmm. onward. Where did you go for your undergrad? Yeah, I went to the Ohio State University. Okay. Is that Columbus, red? Columbus, Ohio. Red and white colors? I was thinking. Scarlet and gray. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah with yeah. the big, big black O. Yes, mm-hmm. big O. And did you go in knowing you wanted art history? I did. Okay. I did, yeah. And you surprised me. I learned from you through a conversation. Like, you did not take methodology classes, like drawing and sketching and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. No. Okay. I Yeah, and I would not call myself an artist but necessarily. But you're amazing. And I don't think that I have technical skill. And I think that's the real distinction. I think a lot of people get really hung up on, am I an artist? Am I not an artist? Do I have technical skill? Do I not have technical skill? And, I mean, I played with art ideas Mm -hmm. my whole life. I went to art camps. I was involved with art club at school. Art was definitely one of my favorite Mm -hmm. subjects in school. Um, But I think at a certain point, you you get split into two sections. One is the, I have technical skill. I'm going forward. I'm going to do AP art, AP studio art. um, Or you're not. And then you become just much more specialized in whatever your focus ends up being. And I didn't end up going, taking that studio art AP class, which was definitely sort of like that deciding factor between 
um, are you an artist? Are you not an artist? Production of art or right? Yeah. But my school did offer an AP art history class, and that's and that's for me where like I got sort of that like introduction to art history being like its own identity mm-hmm. outside of studio art. Um, the two definitely go hand in hand, yeah. and of course, there's so much overlap. And many, many people study studio art and then go into art history, or the opposite, mm-hmm. studied art history and then navigate their way into studio. Um, but I think that there's just there's also this impulse of creativity and just appreciation for it that I really love, along with the history, which I think is awesome and fascinating and um, has a lot has a lot there too. Mm-hmm. So something I love about the way in which you and I interacted, I would have put myself in the non-artistic bucket. Mm-hmm. I would have said, I am not artistic, right? And through your class, I have been able to become an artist. Like, I have this beautiful sketchbook now that I am proud of. Like, I would not put it next to a professional by any way, shape, or form. But if you had shown me that, like, a year ago, I'd have been like, I can't make any art like that. And now I'm like, look at my art. So how is it that you are able to inspire because you do you inspire people there's everyone has art and music obviously I'm a music person but like inside of ourselves we all do but you have this gift of tapping it and saying it can come out how do you do that yeah um well I think when people come to the art museum they either say like oh I could have done that if they look at something that's like maybe very modern has like one streak of paint and that's it or they go to the art museum and they're like this is not for me um it's very complicated or I don't know how to understand something like that how do you bring out the art in other people because I think you and I both believe that all people are artists right yeah and that like everybody has a creative impulse Mm -hmm. in them but, oh, so I think what the museum does really well is it reveals the finished product. Mm. It shows you it shows you nothing but that last step. Interesting. Right? So all you see is the artist's perfect landscape yes. scene of these perfectly made trees. But you have no idea how many times they went out to the park to study that tree. How many sketches that they made. Um, of that same tree, how many times they took a picture of that tree, how many times they climbed that tree to get to know its branches and roots and all of that. And so we don't really get to see the process behind it. And so I think a lot of our work or my work as a museum educator is revealing and trying to uncover that process for ourselves. And it's less about like knowing exactly what the artist did or he made 16,000 sketches of this one tree. And more about, like, how does, what is this process? What can this process mean to me? Mm-hmm. So making it really personal. And so I think, like, that's one of the interesting projects that I'm inter- that I'm curious about with Sketchbook Club is how can we make, the how we can we reveal the process mm-hmm. of one of these works of art, painting, sculpture, whatever it might be, and... Um, and make it meaningful to mm-hmm. us so mm-hmm. it, like, has some resonance for yeah for your sketchbook or for just your curiosity so it's really not about like replicating right a work of art right in its entirety and that would be impossible because the program is only 30 minutes (laughs) that would be very stressful even for me um but it's about taking like a little sliver of Mm -hmm. that work of art and saying I'm curious about this and so that's been like the most fun thing for me and I'm I feel sort of similarly to you that like I had a blank sketchbook Mm -hmm. and really wanted to fill it but didn't know how to or didn't really know how to get started and so this opportunity to say like I'm not making this perfect right 
perfect thing and it's not gonna we're not gonna make the product of it but we're just gonna like do practice and play and it's gonna be on piece of paper as opposed to playing outside Um, this is just another opportunity for play and to really lower the stakes to say like I just want to do one thing in this Mm -hmm. um in this sketchbook or on this page but it definitely like didn't come from nowhere it definitely was a pandemic feeling of like wanting to shift into this beginner's mindset because I had the opportunity and the time to to like really think about that and I had been taking classes around sort of art different art practices and Mm -hmm. so I sort of was like pulling together pieces from different classes that I was taking so we never you know these are not original thoughts at all but we all I think like the best form what's the expression like imitation yeah highest form of flattery highest form of flattery is imitate is um imitation Mm -hmm. and so pulling like what you love Mm -hmm. and what you enjoy from what other people are doing and who do it really really well Mm -hmm. and then making it your own and so what's special about sketch book club is getting to sketch from our collection so works of art that either I interact with every day or that I never interact with because they're in this in storage but know that they're sort of like a part of our you know table of content so to speak at the museum and so it's really fun to get to know works of art personally in that way and to say I'm just going to try drawing this one thing Mm -hmm. or inspired by this one thing well another quote that kind of comes to mind about this in my interaction with you as an art educator is less is more to spend time for 30 minutes interacting with one piece of art is better than going through four galleries in 30 minutes, mm-hmm. right? We had the opportunity to come on a field trip, and that was, at first, you've had this amazing effect on me multiple times where I look at a piece of art, I'm like, I don't really like it. And then five, six, seven minutes in, I'm like, that's really interesting. And it might not hang in my home, right? It's not my most beloved piece of art ever, but I can see the beauty in it. And I love that because I feel like that correlates to so much of our lives, right? Like people that we pass on the street, we might at first be like, eh. But if we pause and spend some time with them, whether it's a person, whether it's a piece of art or music or a book or whatever, there's beauty in all of it. Yeah. And do we have the ability to tease it out and to, to recognize it and to experience yeah. it? Yeah. And I wouldn't say, like, just because I studied art history or just because I work in a museum, like, every work of art is perfection to me. And right. it's, like, the most amazing thing and that I understand it just by looking at it. Um, and a fun example of this is that I... Um, was walking around the art museum a couple of years ago because I needed to pick a work of art to give a talk on. Mm -hmm. We were doing these like short spotlight talks at our National Gallery Nights evening hours events. And um, so I walked around, I think there was like a theme that we were supposed to attach our work of art to. So I was looking around our galleries with that theme or that lens in mind. And I was like, I'm just gonna pick like the most boring, work of art that I don't even understand that like doesn't really make Mm -hmm. sense to me and I'm just going to try to find something interesting Mm -hmm. about it and so I kid you not I walk into a gallery and there's this painting that's just a white square it's just a white square I had no idea about I had never heard of the artist before because there's lots and lots of artists at our museum so you can't possibly know everything or I guess you could but I don't yeah um and I was like, I'm going to find something interesting about this. And it turned into like a multi-year research project for me that I am deeply committed to and still now has become like one of my favorite artists because I had this opportunity to really spend time zeroing in on her art. I had a chance to go to LA and not meet her, but to go to the gallery that she's represented by and to sort of like do an in-depth study to see many, many more of her works than just the one that we have on view. And I have such a deep appreciation for it. 
And um, one of the sort of like signature things about this white painting mm-hmm. is that she covers the artist, her name is Mary Course, and she's, she's a contemporary artist still living um, in outside of LA. And she uses these this material called glass microsphere beads. Oh. They're, um, yeah, I've never heard of them either. But when, you, when you're driving at night, and your headlights hit the road pavement and it reflects off you, that's what that is, is Uh that like um, reflective quality that they build into, that they mix into the paint. And she had the same epiphany that she was trying to play with this concept of light and like how do you build light or paint light into your your work. And so she was driving alone at night on like a dark highway and as her headlights were hitting the pavement, she realized that was what was refracting back at her and it's refraction not reflection another little niche yeah niche note and um this became like her pursuit to um to paint with these glass microsphere beads so every time I pass by construction and they're like doing the pavement I'm like I have this I feel like I understand and can appreciate so much more this like very small aspect of our world but it's like an everyday thing Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so it was just a very sort of like full circle moment for me to get to know this work of art so do you have to hang that painting in a dark gallery with like lights on it or you just hang it no yeah regular lighting um it could be cool if they hang it in a dark place and flash lights yeah yeah and she's played around with like black paint with the um glass microsphere beads and white paint with the glass microsphere beads and they're really interesting they do these cool effects Um, but it's something that you just yeah if you're passing by a gallery and you don't have the time or the opportunity to investigate what this is how can you appreciate it so for me like that's the like that's that like impulse or question Mm -hmm. that I'm trying to solve Mm -hmm. for an audience that I might be working with is like Mm -hmm. how do I make this really interesting because I have those same questions too right I love your humility, too. Like, you work at the National Gallery, and you're like, I don't know all the paintings there. I don't. Because there's so many, and there's storage, like yeah. you're saying. Yeah. And there's yeah. multiple buildings for the people who might be listening who don't, haven't been to the D.C. National Gallery, right? It's huge. Multiple floors, like... We're a huge museum, and it's really a campus, because we're right. a sculpture garden. We're the West Building. There's two floors there, and we're the East Building. So we take up a lot of real estate on the National Mall, and... Um, there's a lot to cover. Yeah. So. And is the portrait yeah. gallery totally unaffiliated? Portrait gallery is totally separate. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a Smithsonian. Yeah. I think a lot of people think that we're a Smithsonian. Um, not. But we're not. We're sort of our own our mm-hmm. own thing. But we are located on the mall with all the other Smithsonians. It's amazing. Yeah. So are you just part of the federal government then? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's a federal, still a federal museum, still supported by tax dollars yeah. um, with lots of, you know, private support as well, especially yeah. for education programming. That mm-hmm. all comes from private money, too. We love those people. Yeah. They're amazing. Thank yeah. you, private people who are donating yeah. to educate. Yeah. So arts education is super important to me. And through my relationship with you and just thinking about myself, art is important for its own beauty and for its own just human enjoyment. But art has this power for resiliency. When I'm in a class of yours and I'm drawing a sketch and my line goes askew or my shading gets wonky or whatever, I just feel like there's such a huge analogy in real life. Like, it's a microcosm of life, right? Because in life, the line goes askew. In life, the shading is too dark or too light or whatever. It's not communicating what I want it to. Can you speak to the resiliency factor in art education and what it means to you as a human being? Yeah. 
Um, I mean, I share all of those same experiences where you have this image in your head, you want mm-hmm. it to look a certain way, you see that final product, that perfect, mm-hmm. beautiful landscape that mm-hmm. hangs at the museum, and it's like, how do I get mm-hmm. to that? How do I get to that point? And so we truly, like, this is something that we talk about a lot at the museum, is like, you, we truly have to practice over and over and over again, and it's a muscle that you build just like you might go to the gym and exercise Mm -hmm. to gain muscle or just like anything else like practicing a musical instrument Mm -hmm. it's something that you have to like practice and build and persist at Mm -hmm. and so to go from I think there's this huge gap that adults experience Mm -hmm. and I'm you know definitely speaking from that adult perspective um that you um that we we go from being this kind of like well-rounded student as a younger person hopefully your school has offers arts education um if not you know you seek it elsewhere or you are just aren't exposed to it but if you're in that fortunate case where you have arts or opportunities to experiment with creativity um you get exposed in that way just like you're exposed to all the other subjects Mm -hmm. and then at a certain point you're either an art person or a creative person or you're not a creative person and so you get really you lose you lose that opportunity to really um play with that mm-hmm. skill and to exercise that skill so and I think that like I'm definitely in that category where I was I was that for a while and that was my identity and then you go off in this other direction and you're an art history person mm-hmm. and you're not really focused on like the technical making of it and so it's like how do you build up yeah. that how do you come come to that again and there was like we were talking about before the pandemic really opened up this space to for me to cultivate this beginner's mm-hmm. mindset mm-hmm. and that was something that I felt like became a little bit of um became like a big mantra for me mm-hmm. over the pandemic is like I'm approaching my sketchbook every day with a beginner's mindset mm. because if I ask myself to do more than that like I'm not capable of it and, and it's I also yeah I'm not gonna do it yeah yeah and exactly it's it becomes like too much of an ask mm-hmm. and your expectation becomes um or that, like, to try to satisfy your expectation yep. becomes a thing that you're feeding as opposed to just the opportunity to sit and create. And um, there's one exercise that I love, love, love doing, and I don't know if you had come to this class of this this sketchbook club of mine or not, um, but I pulled this, like I said, always, you're always pulling from the people that do it really well yeah. and then, like, learn it and make it your own. Um, I took this class by um, one of the... She, she works at the Smithsonian Associates, okay. um, which they offer classes and lectures on art and culture. And she had us do this exercise where we were just meant to draw one line from the top of your page mm-hmm. all the way to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Just draw a line. And so she had us just drawing lines. And I was like, oh, this is really relaxing. This is nice. But I got this. I can do this. <laughs> and then she says, switch to your other hand. Switch to your non-dominant hand. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's like that it's reaction. Yikes. I can't do this. It's really hard. But you kind of realize that as you're going, as you're making your marks from top to bottom, that you're forcing yourself to just embrace that imperfection Mm -hmm. and embrace the discomfort of it. Mm -hmm. And I love thinking about that as like, what would happen if I put this in my other, in my non-dominant hand? Like, 
does that force me to set aside even more so all of those expectations because you're just in this like basic primal moment of like how do I write with the the hand Mm -hmm. that's not comfortable to Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. and I mean that's like how we all started Mm -hmm. is like we didn't know which one was which one was our dominant hand non-dominant hand we had to figure that out we need to learn how to write on our own so it's I think it's like coming for me it's coming back to that beginner's mindset that has really pushed me to be more curious because it allows it gives you the permission to not be an expert Mm -hmm. and to not um to not have all the answers right there and so I hope with sketchbook club that we're getting a little bit of that one of my big goals was like can we build a habit of curiosity a habit of sketching just for the sake of sketching not because you need a perfect sketchbook you need that perfect final product but just to have the habit of it because you're excited to just go into your sketchbook or Mm -hmm. whatever scrap of paper and play and be Mm -hmm. playful I think something that you're alluding to is this idea of growth mindset. I don't know if yeah. you move. Okay, yeah. yeah. Growth mindset's huge, and especially as parents, it's so powerful to have that growth mindset because it makes us so much more empathetic as parents and educators. Mm-hmm. If we're trying and learning new skills ourselves, when our child or student is experiencing that frustration where that line goes askew and you want to take that piece of paper and ball it up and throw it in the trash can, if we can teach them, you know, this is hard. I had an experience just the other day where I was drawing and it didn't turn out the way I wanted, I wanted to ball it up, but I took a deep breath and I walked away. And if we can sincerely come alongside, I've seen this happen in my own children's lives and in students' lives, to mirror that emotion and say, yeah. it's valid. That is a really frustrating thing that happened. How about I give you some chocolate? Let's take a deep breath and try again, you know? And I feel like that carries over not just to art, but in our lives and in relationships and in any kind of learning context. And I don't know, the more I think about resiliency in arts education, it makes me think we have to keep funding this as a society. We have, because it's so much more than just art. It's so much more powerful. And I love that in the Sketchbook Club, we all show our videos, people who would like and sometimes it's like senior citizens. Yeah. Like, it's all across the board, all ages. Yeah. People who just want to be creative. Yeah, and it really goes to show that, like, there's something that's bringing them there that was missing in their life mm-hmm. before. Otherwise, like, they wouldn't be there. Right. That's their precious, you know, 30 minutes of their dinner time or dinner prep time. Right. And so it really makes me think that there is this gap in learning where we become so specialized in something else Mm -hmm. that you completely shut off that part of yourself Mm -hmm. and this idea you know of resiliency or growth mindset like I really think about it like when we ask our students at the museum to try something and we're not trying it ourselves or we're Mm. not we're not pushing ourselves to also be in that learner's seat Mm -hmm. um that like for me I feel like that makes me a more authentic museum educator yeah. In, in teacher education classes, a lot of times they talk about being a lifelong learner. Yeah. And I feel like you're a hack if you're not, you know, because again, you don't have the empathy piece where you come up against something and you're like, I can't do this. I don't know how to do it. Let me break it down and learn and then push through it. Right. Like, yeah. because as a teacher, most of the time we've mastered the content that we're delivering to mm-hmm. our students. So it just makes you so much more authentic and sincere. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, that resiliency piece is so is so interesting and it's like how do we teach for resiliency Mm -hmm. how do we sit there and sit with sit with the muck for a long time before we kind of get to that point where like the sketchbook's looking pretty good or you know I'm feeling really strong because I've practiced you know x Mm -hmm. y or z 
and like what a special special place to get to but it takes so much time mm-hmm. and so acknowledging acknowledging that is is an important part of it I think like one of the biggest or most common questions I get asked in the museum if I'm presenting on a work is like how long did it take the artist to oh, make this interesting. and it's always a really hard question for me yeah. to answer because like there are so many factors the artist could have been working on multiple pieces at a time right. and so she's moving from one yeah. canvas to another maybe she's adding the same marks to like a whole series that she's working on maybe the artist has been practicing like you know go back mm-hmm. to the tree example this tree she's been practicing it forever and ever and ever and so it's really not that she sat down for six hours and made this but this is a whole like a lifetime of building up that skill right. or having spent time in art school to master and become an expert on branches and leaves right. and close study so of texture. So how do you add texture. that into an hour? And so, hour yeah, hour. exactly. So time for me is a very hard answer. And I know people always want to know, like, was it six hours in her mm-hmm. day? But it's also, like, the creative process to get to it. Thinking back mm-hmm. to Mary Course. Like, did her work of art really start when she was driving down the road? Oh, and sees And sees that has this, like, moment of connection and then goes into her studio to apply it. So there's also this, like, the thinking behind it, which can happen either before you start the work of art or intuitively as you're working and sometimes it's sometimes it's much it's both it's that moment of inception that's yeah. a really interesting profound thought like when that idea was mm-hmm. planted is that when we're going to start this clock of right right how long it took me to do this mm-hmm. work of art and then also sometimes with other creative outlets sometimes you have to take a break from it because it's not coming and it's not working yeah. so do we pause that timer then when we're taking a break from it maybe it's months or years even you know so that's interesting I wonder why people want to know that. I guess they... Yeah, and I think that people want to be able to relate. Like, yeah. you know, if my work day is eight hours and I'm a legal analyst and I'm studying contracts for, you know, seven and a half hours of yeah. my day and for 30 minutes I break for lunch, like, I want to be able to appreciate art in the same way that I'm right. experiencing my own day. Right. Um, but it's, yeah, it's very hard to quantify something like that and to quantify the creative process because there is something that's like very qualitative or emotionally felt about that experience that isn't like clocking in and clocking out like so many other jobs might be Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that in terms of education people are like well how long should it take you to teach a child to read well it depends on the child it depends on so many factors you know sometimes business models don't always correlate to creative or educational pursuits you know everybody's different it's not always the same um how did your parents make you so interested in arts? Or did they? Where, mm. where did this kind of come from for you? I think, well, to go back to arts education, and some schools have it, some schools mm-hmm. don't. I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, like, this beloved, special, treasured place, mm-hmm. you know, emotionally, but also, like, physically. I can... Were you really know. connected with the actual teacher or just the content or all of it? All of it, okay. yeah, all of it. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, going to our art special, I think it was like once or twice a week, however long it was. Um, I don't know if this, it, for your listeners, if this is relatable, but our art program or our art classroom was down the basement steps past like all the boiler room and all like the machinery <laughs> and like yeah. the loud yeah. noises that buildings make. So, you would go down these steps and it was very, very dark. And then all of a sudden, it was like this bright, beautiful room where like creativity and experimentation happened and there were these projects that you got to do if you were in like first grade and then you got to look forward to the project that you would do in sixth grade so there were all of these like milestones Mm -hmm. that you could look forward to but it was this like beautiful space Mm -hmm. um, that was also very open and creative and exciting and there were two things about our teacher in the classroom that she set up um, that really stand out to me and one is that she offered extra credit so if you made art at home 
you could come to school and show her your art and she would give you some like random plus 15 points or something like that and then she would add up all the points at the end of the year or end of the semester and if you had the most points you would get to pick out like a little art pack for yourself something like that so there was an incentive attached to Mm -hmm. it um but it was also this very like it was very reciprocal I guess because the more you give in the class like the more you're kind of getting out of it and you get to also extend the learning from home and I can't say that I was bringing back to class like the most beautiful things it was probably very avant-garde without knowing it and probably like exactly like we were talking about before, not technically right. beautiful, but I think it's just that like you sat down to make something mm-hmm. that was not your math homework or your science mm-hmm. homework or reading it's a different book. Part of your brain. So you're exercising exactly. You're exercising something else, and you're thinking about like what does this rubber band look like if it wasn't functioning as a rubber band? Mm. And for sure, some of my artwork had like rubber bands taped to it, taped to a piece <laughs> of paper. I'm sure that they weren't beautiful, but there is this thing of like how do I understand how this functions like in the real world and also how this functions in a creative way? And can I look at like an everyday object and then make it beautiful or make it position it in an interesting way Mm -hmm. that's not for its like pure function. So that was the first thing. The second thing that really stands out to me is that she would offer an after school art club. And that was, that was pretty magical. Mm -hmm. Um, At after school art club, it was, it was not free. So Mm -hmm. I will say that, that like there is this like, extra push that my parents supported um we got to go I think it must have been also like once a week Mm -hmm. you would go after school it was this space that was very chill and relaxed we had to bring in a smock so I would bring in like my dad's yeah my dad's like old shirt like button-down shirt that was sort of threadbare and you got to pick two snacks one big and one little and so you got your snack, and then you got to paint. Yeah. And so you had to bring in your own supplies. So we got to go to the art store and to pick out your own. So there was this ownership about yeah. that. And so that, for me, like, that was magic. And that really mm-hmm. cemented, like, what mm-hmm. was so special about art making and creativity. Yeah. Um, but I feel like we're, I feel like our whole family is very artistic. Um, my older sister is definitely an artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom is very artistic, too. And so I think it was just a space that was that supported that Um, I don't know if they did anything extra special other than like when we asked like I want to go to art camp Mm -hmm. or I want to go to the art museum Mm -hmm. like we had they gave us those opportunities Mm -hmm. like we would go downtown at some point our our museum our local museum became like free for any resident they there was some again like fun people funding the arts to make it accessible to make it accessible so at some point our museum became free so it was like even more accessible Mm -hmm. to go to the museum so there was a special way to like access other art um, and there were art camps that we would go to that just like filled that so mm-hmm. satisfied that itch and so I think like yeah creating that space for your kids just to explore that creativity yeah. was is really profound yeah and listening to them I hope that listeners have art education wherever they are but you also did a beautiful job explaining like this was the low bar like you could take them to Michael's or Hobby Lobby or whatever craft store you frequent buy some paint and say it's Tuesday paint afternoon. And that's the thing I love about Sketch Club is it's not this two-hour commitment. Mm-hmm. And I think I've even shared with you, if our family had to drive down to D.C. to draw with you for 30 minutes, that's probably not going to happen, no. right? Because it's a hard, it's a, it would be a hardship, you know, yeah. two hours in the car for 30 minutes of driving. But the fact that this is an online program, so everyone should join your Sketch Club, A. But if they, for some reason, are working at that time in can or whatever, they could make art happen in their families very low bar, right? Very, very low bar. Like taking, and like, this is what I'm saying before, that I was making art with like rubber bands and tape on a piece of paper. Yeah. Like what are the things that you have around your house that feel 
you know, exciting, have cool textures? Mm -hmm. Would it be something that you would make permanent? Is it just building a sculpture with blocks? Like all of that art is play Mm -hmm. in so many ways. And especially for younger people, people too, is letting them think about art as a form of play Um, and using, yeah, using what you have at home. And is it that you're like tracing your hand and then adding your details or your parents, you know, your parents' hand or something like that. Um, But there's so many ways to get really creative with Mm -hmm. just the tools around you. And I think that's what I love about Sketchbook Club is it's not about the fancy materials. Mm -hmm. It's not about, you know, we did go out and buy beautiful canvases that um, that were like sort of very special and cost money Mm -hmm. um, for this art club. But the lowest it's very low bar for Mm -hmm. sketchbook club and all you need is a pencil Mm -hmm. and a sheet of paper Mm -hmm. and you can feel successful with just those few materials and so I really want I really want accessibility to be like a very much a part of art making because I think that could be a barrier too and it is a barrier yes I think another thing that's really important especially for listeners who might be more of like the stem mindset and that sort Mm -hmm. of thing is that the creative brain process and problem solving of looking at a rubber band and how can I use it a different way, that is like an engineering skill, Mm -hmm. completely. Like, Mm -hmm. here's my materials, how do I get this to do what I want it to do, even though it's not designed to do that, like repurposing things and things like that, like beyond just being green, right? But if these are the only objects you have, how do you solve the problem with those objects? And I'm just such a fan of the arts in general, but getting to know you and getting to see kind of like look behind the curtain of Doc, um, Wizard of Oz, you know, mm-hmm. and like, it's for real. Like, all these things, these good emotion things, there's, like, science and thoughtfulness behind it. It's not just like, oh, do art, it makes you happy. It does do that. Right, but right. there's so much more benefit to it. Right, and I think there's, like, the act of slowing down, mm-hmm. the act of, like, starting as a beginner, so that beginner's mindset. There's this act of just, like, being in, in a flow state, which I know happens with, like, anything you could be working on or anything that you're focused on but if you're just giving yourself permission to take that time then that is your sort of like that is your meditation that could be your um sort of exercise and problem solving but it really is you know there are other things that come out of this it's not just that you're getting you're getting like lots of marks on a piece of paper Yeah, and I mean, I feel that way too when I'm when I'm practicing my sketch so that I can sketch along with all of you at Sketchbook mm-hmm. Club. I'm sitting there and taking this quiet moment to mm-hmm. myself, and how rare is that too? Yeah. Like how how special is that to set aside whatever you're doing to just be really focused yeah. and thinking about like what does this line look like? And that's like allowing your 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 brain to process differently. Maybe it's quieting your brain, maybe mm-hmm. it's helping your brain slow down so it can get excited about something else or become curious about how, you know, how your lines are moving or what you're what you're about to sketch. But there's there's a lot there's a lot there. And all the social yeah. emotional piece. So we didn't yeah. talk about that, like the yeah. mental health Um, aspect of it like it's just calming like we can have a busy day busy day but we know five o'clock is sketch club okay let's do it and we're rushing to get it done and then we're like five ten minutes in you're like i feel pretty chill nice yeah i feel like this was a good use of our time yeah like and we're not even done yet it's amazing like so we will be i will be sure to put a link yes please do all are welcome it is definitely the beginner's mindset approach to sketching it is for anyone and everyone but Mm -hmm. we certainly um, really welcome young people because we want this to be a really safe space for kids to feel like they can be creative um without like all of those barriers of trying to get somewhere transportation so it's meant to be this like after school chill thing before dinner and it's twice a month it's twice a month two different two different topics two different topics a month um we sort of we've we switched days based on yeah 
Availability. Based on staffing and who's teaching. But yeah, it's twice a month, two topics. And we always do, I don't know if you've noticed this, that we always do like a sort of pre-1900s topic and then a post-1900s topic. So something a little bit older and Mm -hmm. something a little bit more contemporary, um, generally speaking. But it's it's, um, inviting yourself to think about think about what the visual world looks like from different eras too. Dina, are you living your best life? Like you work at the National Gallery of Art. Like that sounds really fancy. Is it pretty amazing? Like do you kind of pinch yourself some days? I do. I think there's something really beautiful about working in DC and working on the National Mall. Yeah. And to like walk into a building that is, you know, situated just like steps from the Capitol building. And you're also on this campus where, like, all sorts of learning happens. We're across from the American Indian Museum. We're Mm -hmm. across from Air and Space. We're diagonal across from all these other places that... So it feels like this special campus of learning. Mm -hmm. And I also have to say I work with the smartest people. So all the things I've shared here, like, I've learned and internalized because I work with such smart people who share their creativity, share their, like, favorite works of art with me that like get me curious about things that I had never seen before. Um, so I'm always so appreciative and humbled mm-hmm. by the place that I work because yeah. you know, it all stems from all the, all the people who were curious about this, about these things who came before us. Yeah. Well, I think in my mind, like you being an art history major, I feel like this is like the major leagues of art history, right? Like it's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal, yeah. but I think any museum has those like beautiful yes. hidden treasures that like, you know, if I worked in a museum that had a much smaller collection, mm-hmm. you know those works of art. You become so they become mm-hmm. like part of your friend group yeah, almost. Yeah. They become part of your internal wiring. And yeah. so there's a depth that you get in a smaller mm-hmm. size museum. Um, and certainly there's a breadth here. And yeah, if there's a topic that I want to teach or that I'm curious about and I'm curious like how is an artist image that over time? Yeah. Like, you know, the National Gallery is certainly the place to find something like that. Um, but the buildings are pretty spectacular and the people are so smart who I work with. And there's just, there's so much, there's so Mm -hmm. much at the museum. We have a library, we have a rare books library. Mm -hmm. In addition to the library, we have an archive, we have, you know, just we have a sculpture garden that turns into an ice skating rink in the winter. So there's a lot there to be really excited about. Mm -hmm. And as you know, on staff, I've gone over my lunch break to ice skate um, too, which is really fun too. Um, and to be able to like take a walking break to walk and go look at works of art right. just to get like re- refueled for yes. the rest of your day. Yes. Um, or to see a work of art that has been off view and to get to see it again once it's come on view is another really special thing. How many years have you been there? I've been there since 2012. Wow, you yeah. look really young. Oh, thank you. Like really young. Thank you. Like I thought you were fresh out of college, but mm-hmm. no. No, I've been there. So I started as a seasonal contractor. Okay. Um, so if anyone is interested or curious about the arts, I started off as a seasonal contractor. So I worked our family activities for our summer programs and our like winter holiday time programs. Okay. And because you were in grad school, at I was in, yeah, I was in grad school at GW. And from there, kind of hung around and stayed a while and learned from the people who were managing those programs. Mm-hmm. Because when I when I came in to interview them, an interview with them, I said they asked they had asked me this question of like where do you see yourself in five years, and I was like I want what you do. Yeah. I want to do what you do. So learned from them, admired and absorbed everything that I possibly could, so that I could kind of take. Mm-hmm 
take on as much as I could Mm -hmm. and stuck around. So, and that is often a path for museum educators is there's not like, um, sort of that like full-time job out of college waiting for you, but you're often like, (laughs) you're often like connecting, um, different contract positions. So seasonal work is really big, especially because you think about all the families who might be looking for things to do over the summer, over the winter, over the like winter holidays. So that time can be really important for um for staff to be Mm -hmm. looking for other people Mm -hmm. to help to help support their programming Mm -hmm. um and i'll say while we're talking about the national gallery in addition to sketchbook club if you want to come to the art museum physically it's a beautiful museum Mm -hmm. um and your your family or your creative person you're curious about creativity and you want to make something every first that's right yeah Every first Saturday of the month, we offer just a drop-in art-making space, different project mm-hmm. or different theme each month. Um, we often have a lot of families who come in the morning, kind of before nap time. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of just, like, creative adults who want to come and just make and sit in a space and do that kind of, like, designated, mm-hmm. thoughtful, like, slowing down work um, and thinking um, in the afternoons. And, it, you know, it kind of gets you creative and curious. Yeah. And hopefully you're hopefully you're leaving with something that you didn't know about yourself before. And we are not saying one of the best parts about the National Gallery of Art. It is free. It's free. The whole thing is free mm-hmm. because thank you, federal government of America. Yeah. Thank you. We appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> that is a bonus. Yeah. Yeah. So if people are ever going to come in the D.C. area, they should swing on by. Um, Dina, what things do you look forward to in this next season of life? Um... I think for me, I'm very excited about. I have a young, a young little one. Um, first, we're in our first year of parenting, um, first time parents. So I think I'm very much looking forward to seeing this little person grow and become mm-hmm. curious and getting to play with him mm-hmm. and doing all these art projects that I love doing yeah. as kids or seeing what else is out there, yeah. um, but getting to like have him be. Um, to be creative with me and to get to sort of sit alongside him and be that creative person with him Mm -hmm. and see what he's curious about and interested in. Um, I'm sure lots of people are Instagram users and see all sorts of like creative ideas that you can do with your kid. And so I've been bookmarking those like, (laughs) okay, not yet. He's still a little young. Everything goes in the mouth, but like at at a certain point we, I hopefully will um, be able to do those things with him. Um, I'm also, and I'm hoping that maybe if I say this out loud on okay. on the internet like, that I could manifest yes, yes. that um, I wrote a draft of a children's book during <gasps> the pandemic. So I'm so excited. So I need to kind of like do the next steps yes. of like working on um, working on how to make it, how to bring it to life. Yes. Um, so it doesn't just live as, as a PDF in my computer. You do the illustrations and the stories. No, just the, just, just the story. story. Okay. Yeah, the illustrations are the art. It's right. about it's about the collection at the National Gallery of Art. So I'm hoping that maybe if I put this out there that. It's like public accountability. Yes, exactly. The internet knows that you want to do this now. Yeah, yeah. So that's something that I'm hoping to do um, when, yeah, when and um, when I can find the time for Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have to carve the time out. I'm reading a book right now about that and how you, if you want it to happen, you have to look at it like a doctor's appointment or like Mm -hmm. any other kind of appointment, you know, which is so hard, especially when you get to the parenting stage of life because you're like, you feel like it's being wrong, but it's not. It's, right. It's you investing in you so that you can be a better, fuller you to go back. To, to go back to replenish, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also think there's this um, this challenge of, like, emotionally putting yourself out there. And, and oh, you're yes. like, okay, is this draft, is this terrible? Yes. Did, I, did yes. I write just, like, yes. a book that I had really, was this a fun experiment yeah. that helped 
keep me creative and keep me occupied yeah. over the pandemic or does this have legs to stand right. on? And so that feeling of vulnerability mm-hmm. is a big is a big thing. It's a hurdle. It's a hurdle. So mm-hmm. yeah, when we think about sketchbook club, like you're you're doing that for yourself. You're just yeah. presenting that for yourself. But then when you say, Okay, I have this idea, I have this kernel of idea, right. I'm gonna work on it, I'm gonna make it into this project and I wanna put it out there in the mm-hmm. world because I think that other people mm-hmm. might enjoy it too. Like that's that's that next level. That's what this whole That's, podcast yeah, is. I'm exactly. like, this is an idea of mine. Do people like it or not? And it's really hard not to get caught up in the numbers game. Yeah. So, like, let's go forward. Let's say this children book sells. Let's say it gets published and it gets sold. Is that enough? Or does it have to sell 100,000 copies? Or does it have to sell? You know, it's like, that's the weird thing about humanity is, like, we've, we move that goalpost mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. right? So, like, if you got a publisher to pick it up, would that be enough? Right, right. You know? So, it's fascinating little thought experiment right so we'll see where it goes mm-hmm. um or it'll just be this pdf that i get to read to my little one and yeah. that might be good enough too because it was something that was really fulfilling for me at the time and meant a lot right. then and would be really fun to share with him right it's hard not to box in life isn't it yeah because so much of life it feels about like a production like you're saying the art hanging in the gallery right but maybe it's not about that right. maybe it's about it's really seeing that process right. through and just like embracing the process mm-hmm. and that's such a big part of what we do at the museum as art museum educators mm-hmm. is helping people see is there's this final product but there's all the process yeah. that's behind it and that's you know there's so many like you were saying connections to yeah. real life and real life circumstances that you're learning you're learning skills mm-hmm. and maybe this pdf too is a little picture of like hey this is what mommy's world looked like before you yeah. you know not that your world is not that similar still but you know it's like this little almost like a diary entry of Mm -hmm. this is what my world was before you Mm -hmm. and now you're incorporated in there too but right yeah and I wonder like how many other people have these pandemic time capsules whether or not it's like a project that they've continued Mm -hmm. with or something that they've found to occupy their time Mm -hmm. during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and maybe it's sketchbook club and you didn't come back after you know the world opened up a little bit more and maybe it's something that you have kept on too so it's interesting to see like what who who we are when we sort of have to like look a little bit more internally yeah and it's hard too like we've loved sketchbook club but we've had to fight to make it a priority right yeah. now that the world comes back mm-hmm. and sometimes seasons of life can be hard you and I were talking about that a little bit before you know yeah. seasons are wonderful but I was reorganizing my closet the other day I'm like I'm so done with sweaters I'm so done with all that but come October I'll want them You'll again. want them again. You exactly. know, it's exactly. interesting. Yeah. It's interesting how it is. Yeah, so hopefully that metaphorical sketchbook is there for you when you're mm-hmm. ready to get back mm-hmm. to it, or the physical sketchbook right. is there. Yeah, right. yeah. Dina, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for sharing your art and your knowledge and passion about it more than anything. Yeah. Well, are you ready to join Sketchbook Club? I hope you are, because it's super fun. So while we're thinking about Sketchbook Club, very first off, I want to let you know how to get there. Go to nga.gov, nga.gov. That's the website for the entire National Gallery of Art, the campus where Dina works. When you get to that website, nga.gov, I want you to go to the fourth tab over on the horizontal bar called Learn, L-E-A-R-N, Learn. So you've gone to nga.gov. Then you've gone to the tab that's called Learn. 
When you click on learn or hover on it, you're going to see a list of drop downs. Go to the second item, families, that second item, families, and then you'll see it'll take you to another page. And that page in the middle, you'll see an icon for sketchbook club. All right, so here's the next sketchbook club. So you'd be like, oh, I want to start drawing. When can I join? You have to register in advance to get the Zoom link. But our next sketchbook club will be Tuesday, June 13th at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then the exact same content might be different people participating in the call, but the exact same content will be presented again on Thursday, June 15th at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If that week doesn't work for you, two weeks after that, on Tuesday, June 27th at 5 p.m. will be another sketchbook club, and Wednesday, June 28th, also at 5 p.m. And again, that week, the 27th and 28th, will be the same content both of those days. You can totally go to back-to-back ones if you'd like, but I'm just letting you know that the content changes every twice a month. There's different content. Okay. So being with Dina was so fun. It took us a while to get the uh, interview scheduled because I had some sickness. She was traveling, different things or whatever. But guys, one of the coolest things about being with Dina is I got to go to Washington, D.C., which is like about 45 minutes to an hour from where I live. But she lives in an apartment in D.C., and it's super cool. And I've never lived in an apartment in a city. So that was so fun to have this, like, cultural exchange about what's it like to live in a city. And she rides a bike to work. Like, I am such a suburbanite mom. It was so interesting to me to be like, tell me about that. She even rode her bike to work when she was nine months pregnant. That is just so amazing to me. And it makes me feel a little bit frumpy that I'm driving my minivan everywhere, not riding my bike around town. Also, in addition to that, is she has a fun pizza place she likes. And she's like a city girl, like people that they make movies about and people that they have on TV shows and stuff. It's just super cool. I've always wanted to live in a city and I've never had the opportunity to do so yet. But maybe in the next season of life, I might move to a city. You never know. I hope that you enjoyed your conversation with Dina. I hope that it inspires you to be creative about art, to enjoy art. One of my most favorite things about Dina Rappaport is less is more. Go to a gallery of art, go to an art museum, go even like online and just look at one painting for five minutes. Set a timer or even just do it for two minutes and you will notice so much more. I think in our digital rushed age, we are so much about hurry, hurry, hurry. I think that's what I love about Sketch Club is it makes me slow down. I don't just swipe onto the next picture. I don't just move on to the next task. I don't just move on to the next tab. I just sit and enjoy that piece of art for a moment. Well, several minutes, right? And when you're doing it with a community, it's amazing how fast time goes. And you just get sucked into this. And it's such a neat experience. So I really hope you can join Sketchbook Club. If you can't, um, I hope that you can maybe go to an art museum in your area. And if you ever have the opportunity to be in the Washington, D.C. area, please go to the National Gallery of Art. And maybe you'll bump into Dina. If you let me know, I could maybe hook you guys up and you guys could meet each other in person because she is just a delightful human being who is so inquisitive about the world around her and the art and why we make the art that we make and what it says about who we are and what it's doing for our souls and what it's conveying about our beliefs and just so many interesting things. So fascinating. Remember, every person is a present and you never know what you're going to get when you open it up. 
And you never know how these other presents in our lives are going to affect us and enrich us and make us deeper thinkers and more artistic people. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Dina Rappaport. And remember, every person's a present.